Quiet, Rock please. with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, I want to thank all of my listeners and readers for tuning in and for spreading the word about Movie Beat to your friends and your industry connections, for your emails and your support, and for your phone calls. My name is Rex Sykes. I'm your host. Today we're going to be discussing uh, film history, film school, uh, television, and all sorts of things with my guest, Mr. Alan Gansberg. And he's going to be with us in just a few moments. But first, I want to remind you that the official website is... R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name. That's RexSykes dot com. And Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That is why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. The chat room is open. If you have questions for my guests, you can meet in the chat room and ask those questions. You can subscribe to the Movie Beat website on the welcome page by clicking on the RSS feed. And that way you'll always be updated to changes on the website. Keep in mind, if you are listening to this live right now, that you can friend us. You can make us a, a favorite. Uh, you can go ahead and leave comments. You can chat in the chat room. If you're listening to this archived, keep in mind that there are over 130 other excellent interviews, discussions with professional filmmakers who are sharing their expertise and their advice with you so that you can be a smarter worker, uh, get your projects done, uh, do it less expensively, and with less costly mistakes, both in time, energy, effort, uh, and finances. Uh, we pull back the curtain on movie and TV and webisode making uh, and, and reveal the secrets and the kind of insider information uh, that working professionals, both in front of and behind the camera, uh, are privy to. And they share that all with you. If you're listening to this archived also uh, from the website, you're at the interviews blog, and you're in the archives, and you're in the biography page, and you've clicked on the bold link that says to listen, click this bold link, and that's how you do it, whether it's live or archived. But the show is also available as a podcast through iTunes. That's Rex Ike's Movie Beat podcast, and if you subscribe to the podcast, then it'll, you'll always be updated each and every time there's an interview that's added into the, uh, the queue. And uh, you'll never miss an interview. And so that's the exciting good news. And then when you're there, rate and review the shows as well. Because whenever you rate or review, whenever you post it on your wall, listen, posting it on my wall or commenting on my wall on Facebook is fantastic. I can't tell you how much I like to hear from you, and I appreciate it. But if you post it on your wall on Facebook or you post it on your wall in MySpace or you tweet about it on Twitter uh, through your account, uh, and you spread the word about my guests and their appearances on the show, then you're extending the reach of the show to other filmmakers and other fans and other people worldwide that uh, we could possibly never reach. So I appreciate when you do that. Please do. Our Twitter address is Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word is abbreviated. It is Rex Sykes Movie BT. And uh, before I bring my guest on today, I want to 
keep you uh, remind you that uh, whether you're listening live or archived, you can share Rexite's movie beat with everyone through your favorite means, and and I appreciate it when you do that. So um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, at the Hot and Fun blog, there's information coming up about uh, Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall is our director. Uh, he's the first AD and, and a director who has run our first AD series and our director series here on Movie Beat. And uh, he's got a directing workshop, The Art and Craft of Directing, coming up in Vancouver in May. So uh, check out all of the information about that at uh, the Hot and Fun blog on Movie Beat. Uh, tonight in the Milwaukee area, I am going to be at the world premiere of the grisly horror movie uh, Long Pigs. Producer Chris Power and Nathan Hines, who also directed, and uh, Chris... Beard, who is a special effects man who's worked for N. Night Shyamalan and George Romero. He's done, I think, Day of the Dead and 300 and, and Max Payne and a host of other movies. They're going to be in Milwaukee at the Time Cinema, 7 o'clock for the world premiere, the debut of the horror film Long Pigs. I'm going to go. Please go. Please let others know about it. Please tweet about it, and we'll meet you there. It's only $5 to attend this special event tonight. So uh, see you at the Time Cinema in Milwaukee, and you can check out the information at timescinema.com. All right. Also check out uh, things like the uh, Hot News blog at uh, the website, and um, and keep reading. we got lots of articles, lots of information, and uh, news about us. We begin uh, the pilot. Uh, we'll go into production on May 3rd will be our, our uh, move-in day, and we shoot for the rest of the week for uh, Woody's World, which is Ron Coleman directing his uh, script for Woody's World. It's a live situation, uh, animated situation, live action animated situation comedy. Uh, first of its kind in TV history as far as we know, and uh, and we're looking forward to uh, lensing that uh, beginning early May. All right, my guest today, let me get to my guest because it's important. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to our time together is Mr. Alan Gansberg. Uh, he is currently the Dean of Columbia College in Hollywood, which is a fully accredited private college offering degrees in cinema and cinema TV. Uh, Columbia College Hollywood is currently nearing its 60th anniversary. Um, Mr. Gansberg uh, is a writer, a producer. He's been nominated for an Emmy four times, both for writing and for producing and for uh, documentary filmmaking. Uh, he um, is also an author and film historian. Among his credits are My Past is My Own, a CBS film starring Whoopi Goldberg, uh, for which uh, Mr. Gansberg won the Humanities Prize. Uh, Little Miss Perfect, a CBS film directed by Marsha Mason. Have you ever tried Talking to Patty, which was the highest rated children's live action special in CBS history at the time that it aired? And NYTV, um, by the people who made it, a two-part PBS documentary hosted by Walter Cronkite and uh, Al Roker. Uh, I'm going to bring on um, Alan Gansberg right now so we can begin our, our chat. Hi, Alan. Are you there? Hello, Rex. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Fine. Excellent. I am so looking forward to this because I've got lots of questions for you. But first, let's talk a little bit about you. I mean, in terms of your writer, your producer, you've been nominated for Emmys and received awards, uh, your filmmaker, your historian, you've written a book on Edward G. Robinson, and you run tours, so you do a lot of different things. So, uh, uh, and I don't know if I said it, but you're also dean of Columbia, you know, college. So yeah, I'm dean of the College of Columbia College Hollywood. Yes. Right. So how do you juggle? How do you juggle all of that? That uh, sleep is our enemy, you know. Yeah. All right. 
So, um, so you've been involved for quite some time in 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 many different areas. How'd you start? Starting well in terms of professionally. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I studied. I went to uh, not only you know college and graduate school and studied film, and I went to acting schools and and uh, you know did theater. But in terms of professionally in Hollywood, when I moved out here, I moved out to Hollywood because I had. I had done what you're not supposed to do, and that is uh, send scripts to, you know, to, to producers and and writers and people like that. And um, I sent ten packets out. Uh, it knew nobody. Um, nine of them, of course, sent the the form letter back saying, you know, you know we we don't read these things. Uh, the tenth person, the person who I just threw on because I like, you know, because I liked his work and didn't think he could do anything for me, he actually read it. And he showed it to, to to somebody who headed a, a company who wanted to meet me, and I flew out and met them, and you know, and and that's how that process got started. In the meantime, of course, I had to make a living when I moved out here, so I applied for a job at the. I had worked on summers at the New York Times and, and been a summer reporter uh, during my college and graduate school years, and so I applied at the Hollywood Reporter, one of the trade publications out here. Uh, and was hired as a reporter and then TV editor, and I did that for several years, and that is how I met people in the business, um, and eventually started selling uh, my my first scripts. The the upside was I sold scripts. You know, the, the the downside was people then thought that you only sold the scripts because you were in that job, um, and so I had a lot of proving to do uh, after that. But but it did. That's what broke me into the business. That wow. that, that was a bad sentence. That's what got me into the business. All right, no, no problem. Um, and uh, and from there, after the Hollywood Reporter, how, how did you how did you make the leap from uh, reporter to producer or for writer? Well, yeah, I, I well, I was at the. I mean, I started. I was always covering. Um, I was writing for other publications, and I wrote the the what was the British version of the Edward G. Robinson book and and other things along those lines. I met a. Through the interview process, I met a, a woman by the name of Judy Price, who was a development executive at CBS. Um, and I was raised in France, and she had a French language project that they were trying to adapt to English. It was actually Belgian, but it was French language. And um, she asked me to be involved with that. The project never happened. Um, there were some problems, but we got to know each other. Um, and um, she hired me to write and co-produce um, have you tried talking to Patty? That children's special, which was under the school break special banner, uh, and uh, when it was the it was the highest rated, as you as you said in the, it, kindly in the introduction, at the time it was the highest rated children's special in CBS history. I don't know because of the quality or because they sent scripts to every school in the country. I mean, I have to be honest about that. But it got good ratings, and then CBS was interested in my services, and I began writing and producing. Uh, and then eventually even directed a few uh, a few projects for them. But I wrote a lot of socially conscious, you know, what they used to call social dramas in the uh, you know in the 1950s. At the same time, I was writing for a lot of uh, episodics, uh, including um, uh, you know sitcom, sitcoms in particular. Uh, usually, I wrote the heartfelt episodes. You know, I mean, you know, facts of life. You know, Natalie is afraid of nuclear holocaust. I mean, that kind of. I wrote those kind of episodes. I didn't write the pie in the face episodes, and and little by little, you know, you build up credits, and then you can you can have meetings, and and uh, you start selling projects. I always liked documentary filmmaking, and I always did that, 
uh, and uh, I always continued to do that so that that was my more production element of it, if you will, in terms of knowing cameras and knowing film stocks and um, things along those lines. Wow, very, very cool. Well, let me ask you this. Let's, let's, let, let me ask you that in, um, since you are a film historian and you've been in the business for some time, how has Hollywood changed in its more than 100 years of filmmaking as a filmmaking center, and, and what have you seen or, or how have you experienced that uh, both in your time? Okay, I can answer that one. You know what? In many ways, it's changed very little, despite the fact that you might read headlines that say, oh, 3D is coming or this one is coming. And I'll tell you the way it has not changed. And they first started filming here, I believe in, in 1907. There's debate about whether it was 1904, 1907, 1908. So let's say it is 100 years, as you and say, and leave it at that. Um, Hollywood is not now, nor has it ever been, a center for art. It's always a center for commerce. Um, and the, the entire notion of, of film as a product um, has not changed. And when you have film as a product... Uh, as a commercial product, uh, you're also creating a product that has no intrinsic need. Um, I mean, people like to go to movies. They like to watch television. Now they watch webisodes. Now they listen on the radio to shows such as yours. But there's no intrinsic need for them to do that. It's not like, and we do hope that people have hygiene and they must buy soap and they must buy buy um, a toothpaste. So when you want to uh, put out a new toothpaste or you want to put out a new soap, you're simply selling the people on the on the value of your soap, not selling them on buying soap. Uh, whereas with, with film uh, and television shows and so forth, you always have to market uh, with the notion that uh, you, don't need, you don't need this product. We're going to tell you why you will like this product. Uh, so in that sense, Hollywood has not changed. In the sense of the basic business model, uh, as much as, as aspects of it are radically changing right now, the basic business model... Uh, is you know the financier, the studio, uh, you know puts the money up um, and controls the flow of the money, um, and everybody is for hire, uh, with the exception of independent films, and even that becomes problematic. That aspect has not changed. What certainly has changed is the end of the studio system, as it was in the from ni- r- roughly 1914, 1915 to 1952. I mean, the idea of people being under contract to a studio and for all intents and purposes being assigned the films that they were going to do, um, and later actors and others under contract to to uh, uh, studios or suppliers for, for television programming and being uh, somewhat assigned to what they were going to do. Obviously, that's changed, and so each each everybody is a freelancer now. Um, you always see, you know, actors always say, oh, an actor is always, uh, always looking for their next job. You know, it's the only profession where someone's always looking for their next job. Well, that's true of virtually everybody in Hollywood. In fact, people who are working are looking for their next job. Studio executives are working for their next, looking for their next job because they could be out the door at any second, which was not something that Jack Warner or Louis B. Mayer thought that was going to happen. And incidentally, Louis B. Mayer was an employee, whereas Jack Warner owned the studio. I mean, it's a... That's a, uh, even though Louis Mayer was a more powerful person. Uh, that's just a little footnote. But sure. So that's, what, that's what's changed, in other words, the, the, the fact that there's the, the topsy-turvy nature of it. But, but, but the fact that people are making films under a, um, under a business model um, and a concept that uh, dates back to when Francis Boggs and Otis M. Grove and D.W. Griffith, uh, the first people who shot movies, 
uh, or what we now know of as movies um, in the Los Angeles area. Well, I appreciate you so much saying that. I think one of the, the my philosophy, of partly with this show, is is from my experience in Hollywood, and, and from my love of film history as well. And I've always thought of the studio systems as the factory systems that were churning out products in order to make a profit, uh, while you know providing entertainment or you know or or as a means of providing entertainment. Um, you know, and and I now live in another state. Uh, I'm not in Hollywood as regularly as I was at one time. I miss it dearly. But, but you know, and I encounter lots of people who think of it as an art form or they think of it, you know, the, the notion of an art house movie, which to me always was when I lived in Hollywood, which was always a movie that failed, but finally found someplace that would show it, um, you know, in terms of its commercial viability. And, and I don't mean to disparage anything. I'm just saying that, that I, have, I personally have always considered movie making a product and I, and I uh, you know a, a, a manufactured or manufactured commercial art I guess is what I would call it you know so that um, there's an artistic component but there's definitely a manufacturing side and a, and a, and a uh, yeah, this is, that's well put Rex that manufactured commercial product, product that's you know art that's well so, put well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, but uh, you, nowadays, you know, I, I encounter so many like guerrilla filmmakers who think of it as art, and they, they, I don't think they really get into their head that they're they're trying to enter an industry or they're trying to get something shown w- without understanding the the commercial implications of it or the business side of it. And so that's partly what you know our goal here at Movie Beat is to do is go look, you know, this, treat it as a business, and you'll succeed in the business. You know, if you if you can put your ducks in the row and get everything lined up. And then, then there's a huge portion of luck involved, but, but uh, you, you know, it's, it's better to have a plan and work the plan than to try and haphazardly do something. I, anyway, I'm, I'm pontificating, and I don't mean to. Um, so for the young filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, is the current business model good or bad, or, or what's happening well, now? You know, you, 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 we have to, you asked about the Hollywood, and that's, I answered the question about how Hollywood has changed. I didn't ask her. There is independent filmmaking, um, yeah. in other words, that that, that are then a, films that are then acquired by distributors. Some of those distributors are in New York, some of them are most of them are in California, but they can be any place. Um, and there are only a, a fine, there are a finite amount of distributors who could actually get films into movie theaters and out into distribution. If you want to be an independent filmmaker and be in New York, uh, and which is where most of the independent filmmakers are, but you can be in Milwaukee, you can be any place, um, and you and make your films. The films you want to make, the Cone Brothers do it. To some extent, Spike Lee does it. Uh, Woody Allen has has always had sweetheart deals and done it. Um, then you can. I mean, uh, but but if the road is going to lead to a distribution process that is that is business like um, and that is influenced by the Hollywood Hollywood model. Um, so if I were a young filmmaker, um, uh, I would Hollywood. Hollywood and distributors, Hollywood in particular, uh, which is, respects initiative over substance. Um, so doing it, making the film, means that you have a product that gets, gets attention. Talking about making a film doesn't get any attention. Ideas are, are cheap. It's the execution of the idea that matters. So, you know, uh, you know have bake sales, to do car washes, turn tricks, whatever you have to do, to make the dollar fifty that you need in order to make the film. Once you have the film, then you have an opportunity, you know, to get a distributor. Once you have a distributor, once you have that first film out there, then distributors uh, or production entities, if you will, 
will throw mo- could conceivably throw money at you. I think the best example of that probably is 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 uh, Kevin Smith and Clerks, which I believe was made for forty thousand um, dollars. You know, he managed to to get a distributor, and then people were throwing money at him, um, and then he had a career. Then you don't have to worry unless you want to, unless you want to be John Sales, who, has, who, uh, who I respect enormously for his body of work. John Sales re- does rewrites of Hollywood pictures <clears throat> for big bucks so that he can go and make mod- modestly budgeted films, the ones he wants to make, and manages to get uh, uh, distributors for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he... I mean, so what I would do is make the film. Um, there's no guarantee you're going to get a distributor or a distributor, nationwide distributor at first. Uh, certainly you can go, you mentioned in your opening remarks you know, that there's a premiere of a film in Milwaukee tonight. Right. Uh, what distributors want you to do now is not necessarily go to film festivals, but rather to you know, rent a theater um, in, in major markets, in large markets, um, rent a theater on your own, Get people to come to it, get some reviews, get some buzz that way. If you go to film festivals, obviously if you get into Sundance, you know, everyone's interested in you. But if you go to many film festivals, um, the distributors don't necessarily want to handle you. Because if, for example, you're in a film, uh, I was at a conference, you know, in a, in a film festival director from Winston-Salem, North Carolina said, well, why won't you send your films to my festival, to these distributors? And they said, well, because if we if we send it to your festival, then we're eating up the potential people who would pay money to buy the tickets to that to to our film in your market. So they want they want reviews, they want a buzz. They don't necessarily want it through film festivals, which is not putting down film festivals. They're wonderful, we we love them, and it's you know you want an audience, and that's where you're going to find it. So if I were a young filmmaker, I would make the film, and if that one didn't work, I would make another one. And you know we can look back at the model of Oscar Micheaux. Um, who worked entirely out of the Hollywood system, needless to say, uh, who went door-to-door, did what he needed to do, raised his money, made his films for an audience, got distributed, and now whatever we think of his artistic ability, the man is an icon you know. now. Um, I mean, I think the Oscar Michelle model is a good model for young filmmakers. You just hope that you're not going to have to spend your entire career doing what he had to do. <laughs> I, I understand. Hey, um, one of the things that, that, that we encourage people to do, because, um, and, and I like what you just said, make your movie, you know, and, and then four-wall it, essentially, or if you can ever find a two-wall deal, that would be incredible, but, uh, you know, four-wall your movie. Uh, the thing that we encourage people to do here, and I'm sure you do as well, you know, in the school, you know, is, is to make sure that when they make their film and they're in post, that they have everything, all their paperwork, all their deliverables lined up so that a, a distributor can easily easily pick that movie up should they be interested and and i encounter people uh you know monthly i guess that that i said well do you have a dub track on that and they go well, what's that <laughs> you know, they've made their movie but they, they don't know or do you have location releases and they go oh no um what about that you know i mean so it's just it's just making sure that again that everything is you know that you work smart so that uh, when it amen seek, seeking the distributor that they can do so um, the other thing is, is that, and, and I mentioned this before, that in the publishing industry, in the ebook publishing industry, now not so much for novels that are on Kindle at this point or, or nonfiction, but the, I mean, the fiction, but the nonfiction world is is such that right now, you can uh, create a publishing platform for yourself. You can get on the internet and you can say, hey, I'm I'm writing a book on auto 
uh, repair and what what issues do you encounter when trying to fix you know do it yourself or, or when you take it into a garage and you can have all sorts of people email you as, as the chicken soup for the soul guy did Jack Canfield and you can collect all this stuff and then you can write your book and while that's going on you create an email list a subscription based list or you know friends or whatever or a fan page on Facebook or something like that. But you literally build a platform of 100, 1,000, 100,000, a million you know, potential people who buy the book when it comes out. And I, and I always encourage filmmakers to do the same when it comes to you know, selling their movies by DVD. The more people you got interested from the beginning of the project on, uh, the more yeah. fans and followers, the, the larger the platform, the more potential there is for a distributor to look at this and go, you know, these guys may, not only made a movie, but they got 250,000 potential DVD sales right there right now. And if 10% bought them, which you never, you know, then you got 25,000 potential sales. So, you know, it, it kind of greases that wheel uh, for the filmmaker when they're moving forward. Can I just also add also that? When you when you're going to either whether we're talking film, but we're talking a Hollywood studio, or even if you're going to a distributor, someone who's doing a negative pickup and an acquisition of an independently made film, the investment is extraordinary, um, millions of dollars. The average Hollywood film, if you include marketing and so forth, averages I think 150 million dollar investment. Think of that. You know, this is not just hundred thousand dollars. This is millions of dollars, and the millions of dollars have to come from someplace. Just because you think these studios are rich doesn't mean they it's coming out of their own piggy banks. Uh, so that you, you're, 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 if the more valuable you make yourself, the, the, the more valuable it is for them, the easier it is for them to market the tools you give them. So you, I agree with you entirely. You know, if you do something on the web, I mean, don't think that the only world is the feature film world. They're distributing fewer feature films to theaters. So that if you, the major distributors are, so that if you're, you know, do something on the web, do something on, on, on television, do something on, on cable, you know, do something in a way that, you know, to get it out there. And, and if it's good enough, they will find you. The best example of that recently is this Lucas Cruikshank from Nebraska who did Fred, you know, this little character on YouTube, um, you know, and they, and I think it's uh, Paramount MTV films or Paramount Vantage or, are, are, have just produced a film version of that, you know, and he has a career now. He's sick, he was 16 years old, 14 years old when he started, 16 years old when he made these deals um, because somebody found it. Uh, you can't, you know, you have to promote it. You have to try and get people to find it. But do not think that someone is going to give you $100 million tomorrow uh, to make a film, your dream film, because you have not proven that you can handle a budget of $1 million, let alone $100 million, and it is somebody's money. Uh, very well put. Uh, no, absolutely well put. I, I surely appreciate that. Alan, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a short break right now, uh, and then we'll come back. We're a few minutes early, but I'd rather uh, be able to discuss more on the other side of the break. So I'll be right See you in a bit. All right. Um, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat at rexsykes.com, the official website. My guest is Alan Gansberg. He's the dean of Columbia Film School in Hollywood. He's a producer, a writer, an author, a film historian, and... He gives film tours, so uh, he's got a lot going. My guest coming up, the very next guest, is Kristen Shaw. She's an acting and on audition, co audition coach, and we're going to talk about what makes a good audition for film or television. Patrick Girardi, post-production post sound supervisor, re-recording mixer, is coming back. We'll continue that discussion. Terry Green is a screenwriter and director. He's been here uh, three times at least before he's coming back to continue our discussion. Eric Morris, acting coach and author. Paul Provenza, producer, director, actor, comedian, will be here. John Reed 
Reeves, director and author of Think Outside the Box Office, is returning. And uh, Mitch Apley, executive producer, editor, director. You know Mitch, don't you? Alan? Yes. Yeah, you, you know Mitch? Yes. From the school? Is he in no. the Chicago area? Is that correct? No, he's a, that's, yeah, but that, yeah, I know the name, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, and Dallas Jenkins has been here before. He directed What If with Christy Swanson, John Rassenberger, Kevin uh, Sorbo. Uh, Sarah Benin Bruce is coming back. Brad Hatfield, the Emmy Award-winning composer for, and musician, uh, and so many more. So be sure to check out the interviews blog at regsykes.com for my upcoming guest. But Kristen Shaw will be here at the very next interview talking about what makes a good audition. We're back with uh, Mr. Alan Gansberg. Um, Alan. So uh, let's let's uh, let's tackle this question. Um, you know what, uh, and and maybe we have in some ways. Well, what are some of the wrong assumptions about Hollywood then, and Hollywood now? I think the chief wrong assumption assumption about you know they often say that that history is is written by the by the by the winners. Um, I think that Hollywood history has been written by the by the disgruntled writers. Um, I think one of the greatest misconceptions uh, is that the moguls uh, were these vulgarian immigrant, all these euphemism words, all these you know buzz, these code words, uh, people who who while while being ruthless businessmen stumbled into this industry uh, that other people really made the films and made them good, and they didn't know what they they really didn't know anything uh, about filmmaking. You know they were they were just Word manglers and and mal uh, uh people. Um, that really isn't true. Um, were they ruthless? Uh, would you want your your uh, daughter or son to marry them? No. Um, you know, would would they delightful people? No. Um, but I don't think that the studio heads, uh, you know, Adolf Zukor, uh, you know, people think that Irving Thalberg, you know, who operated, uh, you know, who died in 1936. You know, he was the one who brought class and style to Hollywood, and he certainly did in a lar- in large measure. But 1939 is considered the golden year of the golden age of, of the studio system, and, you know, Irving Thalberg had been dead for three years when that year happened. Adolf Zukor, uh, you know, an immigrant, uh, was, uh, you know, star- uh, brought um, Sarah Bernhardt's film to the United States uh, and as early as, I believe, 1913, 1911, uh, her version of uh, of uh, Elizabeth I. Uh, so there was a, there was a desire to do to have quality and to have great great artistry. Um, they certainly spent the money on great directors, spent the money on great writers, not to mention actors, and tried to build them. So while indeed um, I don't know that we that there were likable people, I think that the moguls get a bum rap in terms of their contributions to uh, the artistry of film. Um, they were quite savvy. They understood the audience. They strove for technical innovations, um, and that's I think the 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 the, the weakest assu- the, the worst assumption or the worst misconception about Hollywood then. I think the worst misconception about Hollywood now um, is that it's one entity. Besides people thinking it's loose and licentious and everybody's on drugs, people work too hard, believe it or not, to mostly be on drugs, uh, and the young actors who are on drugs. You think it's because they're young actors in Hollywood, or do you think maybe it's because they're 20 years old and making a million dollars a week? You know, I mean, and you know, and and they start spending money on the on the high life, and the high life becomes a, a double meaning. But uh, I um, I think that the assumption that Hollywood is this one entity um, is 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 the, is the biggest misconception. 
people will say Michael Moore and Woody Allen and tie them to Hollywood. Michael, neither of those gentlemen uh, work in Hollywood. Neither both of them visit Hollywood very, very rarely. Are they filmmakers? Absolutely, but they're not controlled by some cabal of Hollywood uh, studio heads, you know, who are who are in, 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 have this this concerted effort to corrupt um, the the uh, uh, the youth of America. Another misconception, and um, I don't know how much you want to get into politics, is that Hollywood is liberal. Um, uh-huh. while, while indeed, you know, the, 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 the joke here is that, you know, the, the liberalism uh, ends at the studio gates. While indeed, as individuals, uh, there may be people who are progressive thinkers and liberal thinkers, and people in show business have always been more tolerant um, because that's what show business is. I mean, uh, Irving Thalberg, who I aforementioned, you know, uh, said he would he would leave the business of unions if there were unions in the studios, but had but had no trouble having gay friends. In other words, because because that's what show business is. Um, you know, the, the, the liberals believe in in profit sharing. You know, in Hollywood, the, the the last thing you want to do is give anybody a piece of the profits. I mean, liberals believe in unions. The Hollywood hates unions. I mean, so so when you look down the line, you know, it isn't such a it is not a uh, a progressive liberal business, um, you know, if individuals are progressive in their political outlook, that's something else. But Hollywood is not trying to propagate a liberal, progressive, left-wing ideology on anyone anywhere. You know, I, on both points regarding both the studio, um, the current state of the studios, or or or. or what you mentioned a moment ago, and, and, and liberal, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, and I base that on my experience of, of having spent a large portion of my life in Hollywood and, and continuing to, to intersect with it daily. Um, I, I've always thought of California first and foremost as a conservative state, and Hollywood has some fringe thinkers perhaps, but, but it's small by comparison. And they do get painted you know, by, by media or elsewise with or elsewhere as, as if it's all liberal and all licentiousness. And, and That's how you get headlines. <laughs> it sure is, but your but your point is so well taken. They do hate unions, and they do work long hours. And and you know, I mean, people unless you've worked uh, uh, the studio factory job or even independent films in in Los Angeles, I don't think most people under and and that's not to say that guerrilla filmmakers and and low budget filmmakers elsewhere don't work exceedingly hard and with you know horrendous hours and, and tiny budgets or, or even large budgets, but but. Um, I mean, it is a place dedicated to work, and uh, and there are some who go off, you know, because of wealth or whatever, and, and do drugs. But the the industry itself wouldn't survive if if all of the if everybody could party the way they they think they party in Hollywood. Um, so so very well well put. I also I also think that that it is wrong to even assume that there's any kind of studio in Hollywood today that is comparable to what existed back in the 30s. You know, I, I, the, the filmmakers themselves, the, the people who head these businesses, the corporations or conglomerates that run them, I mean, it is so different. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, and so when somebody says, you know, we're going to, we, we don't like the Hollywood studios, I'm going, well, there are no studios. There are filmmaking, you know, there are companies, there are productions, but, but you know, they're, they're not like what they used to be. So it's it's kind of a 
you know, no, they're 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 outlets to they're they're outlets to they're financing and 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 production and distribution outlets, and that's that's far different. Um, they do have certain producers are under contract, you know, to provide sometimes directors, but directors in their role as producers, uh, and in television, a lot of writers will be under contract to a to a network or a studio or a supplier to the network. In that sense, you know, there are deals, first look deals, overall deals. I mean, they have different names. But um, you're right. It's, 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 the idea of what a studio is is not what a studio was uh, 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 prior to 1952. Yeah, and so anybody who's anti-Hollywood is kind of like shooting, you know, uh, uh, at ghosts. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's no, I don't think of anything other than Hollywood as a, as a location now. Where filmmaking activities occur in a variety of forms. No, it's where the corporate, it's where the offices are. You know, I mean, it's where the business offices are. You know, in that sense. Yeah. But you don't have to be here to make a film, um, and we all know every every state in the country, it seems, you know, is, has building sound stages and offering tax incentives and you know production. If you want to be uh, a filmmaker, I mean, a, a production manager. I mean, a DGA. I mean, a union production manager. You can have a career. Entirely in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, you don't ever have to come to the state of California. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I hadn't planned to ask you about that, but do you have any opinion that you want to render on tax incentives and what it's and what it's done to Hollywood, for example? But it hasn't just been tax incentives. I mean, it's been I, it's been different economic structure. You know, Canada and everything from 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 years ago. Yeah, Canada's now having to do a whole bunch of things because the American because the states are individual states are are trumping them in what they were doing. Uh, you know, the idea behind the tax incentive is uh, is that if every time if a production comes to your community, uh, every dollar spent circulates 15 times. So if you're giving away five of those dollars, it's okay because you still have a circulation of 10. I mean, that's you know that's a cursory way of saying it. Um, and California has difficulty doing that because it's a base industry. Um, so that that the circulation it starts with California money. So the circulation is. Is not going to be as great. So, um, uh, what it's done to Hollywood? Let me just phrase that. What it's done to Hollywood is, and I don't, you know, it, this is a good thing and a bad thing. There's an upside and a downside to everything. Um, I would think that, with the exception of some location work, um, years ago, uh, filmmaking was done either in the New York area or in uh, most of it in the California, in, the, in Hollywood area. And I'm talking about after 1930. There was still you know, significant filmmaking in New York. And yeah, there was the odd film that was made in Chicago, whatever it might be, but that's where it was done. Uh, and as a result of that, communities of, of artists, artists and craftspeople built up in those, uh, in those markets. And so that if you were an actor, you know, trained by, by the equivalent of Stanislavski, trained by Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, or whatever, well-trained, and you came to California, you could make a living... Um, a, a good living, I mean a decent living, doing TV commercials, doing guest shots on television episodes, doing you know one scene parts in film, um, and maybe that's not what you dreamed of doing. Maybe you wished you had more, but you could make a living as an actor and then do do local theater such as it is in, in Los Angeles, and there is a lot of local theater here. When when the films go outside of Los Angeles, when they go you know when they go to another location, um, they don't bring those people to the location. They bring the stars. Uh, and then they hire locally, and local 
Local hires are paid less, but that's that's a union issue. We could talk about another time. But local hires are, but but so that that what's happened is with the diminishing of production here, diminishing of the wide range of production here, the talent pool has gotten has diminished. The talent pool is lower than it was uh, in 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 California, uh, and so that when you come when you go to make a film uh, for a modest budget or you go to make a film. Um, the person who you're getting uh, to do that one scene part was not trained by Lee Strasberg any longer, uh, and so those act those actors have to uh, they, they leave the business they fall away, uh, and so I think that that that's what the effect of the real effect of runaway production, other than an economic one, obviously, has been a diminishing of the talent pool, not just in terms of acting, but in terms of of crew positions and and so on. Interestingly, the writing is almost always done in, in Southern California. Still, the Law and Order uh, series, all four of them, five of them, whatever there were in the heyday, the Law and Order ones, for example, all shot in New York, but the writing was all done here. Um, you know, even even these a lot, so many series are not done, are not produced in Southern California any longer. But the writers are usually based here. So in that sense, the writing has not been been diluted. But I think that in Southern California, the 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 ability to find really really trained, talented people, uh, you know, on the uh, as the twentieth person on the list is is not as 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 possible. Oh, that's fascinating. That is that is an interesting interesting point. Let me ask you this, just to clarify for our listeners, if I, if 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 uh, you want to answer it. And and by the way, we've got about sixteen minutes left, and Alan, you and I have so much to talk about. And I have so many questions to ask you. I know you're going to be coming back. So okay, the listeners know. I mean, uh, at least at least <laughs> another ten or twenty times. <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, you know, we we uh, will let the listeners and the readers know exactly when that's going to be, and I and I certainly look forward to that. But Alan, let me let me ask you about that that uh, the multiplier on the money, the you know fifteen times or the ten times round. How can you can you define that for the listener more? How how is how is it have that life cycle? Well, what I mean, if I come to your town and I spend money, um, you know, renting hotel rooms or buying food, or hiring local people to be uh, 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 crew, uh, crew people, or craft service, or or extras, or whatever it might be. I'm bringing money that was not in the community before into the community. You then take that money and you go to your local supermarket and you buy X, and then the supermarket then pays the clerks and the and the, and, the, and they buy X and so forth. So that the, that 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 one dollar is then spent. You know, can be can be is new money into that into that community, and that community then circulates that money, um, they say, 15 times. So that if the state wants to lure me in so I can spend my money, and they're willing to give me tax incentives, tax breaks, uh, rollbacks, kickbacks, rebates, whatever you want to call them, they're banking then on, you know, they're saying, all right, you're going to spend $100, uh, you know, uh, we're going to give you, you know, $20 of it back, uh, through various means, or we're not going to charge you tax, or whatever, or sale, you know, state tax, or whatever it might be. <clears throat> that's still eighty dollars that they hadn't had before that's circulating. So instead of that hundred dollars becoming fifteen hundred dollars, you know, the the you know the the maybe it becomes only uh, eight hundred dollars or or a thousand dollars in terms of of money that has gone 
in circulation. You spend it multiple times. But it's still money that was that's found money. It's money that they didn't have before. Um, and it's used the goods and services and improved the community, and the community then taxes it in other ways. Does that, does that explain any more? Yeah, that, that's very good. And, uh, um, uh, and I, I'm going to switch topics on you. I, I, mean, I would love to come back and talk about this maybe at another time, but um, uh, if, if you do. But why, why do some stars endure you know, and others who may have been big in their day end up broke and forgotten. What is it about the, you can't say Hollywood system anymore, but about the, but no. the whole star system? It's a fickle audience. Now, I want to say at the outset that I think that, you know, that they should build something, you know, it, it, to, to remember Clint Eastwood. Uh, the man has had uh, such an extraordinary career as an actor, as a director, I mean, the fact that he is still on top of his game, that he's still a leading man. The man is 117 years old. He's still a leading man. He's, you know, he's still the director. He's still doing all these things because uh, actors have to rewrite themselves or their actors aren't, aren't it, it isn't their ability to do Hamlet that makes the movie stars. It's the audience connecting to them and the persona that they're projecting at the time. Betty Davis said, you know, people come to see a friend. You know, people, I remember going to see um, a Dead Poets Society, and Robin Williams, you know, it was Robin Williams' dramatic debut, you know, and the first scene, they had him doing, you know, John Wayne and, and Marlon Brando and little accents, and so people in the audience were laughing, and of course, they were laughing, but they were laughing on a comfort level, they were laughing out of relief, okay, Robin Williams is here, we know he's here, his screen persona is here, the guy we like is here, now if he wants to go cry in a moat and, and act, let him go act. But I know he's here. And um, I, people have to rewrite themselves because the, because the, the times change. You know, um, If you look at, 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 at Tom Cruise, who's having a little bit of downside in his career right now, doesn't mean he can't bounce back. What, what made Tom Cruise a star? He played the cocky guy who falls several notches and then, and then finds the inner resources to succeed. And he did that over and over and over again. Um, and then he, you know, he, with Jerry Maguire, he added a kid to the mix, you know, so he added a, you know, a, different, a, a sensitive side to the mix. And now, you know, he's a certain age and people are tired of him and new people have come along um, and he has to find a new screen persona. Betty Davis started by playing the vixen. She was the bad one. She was the bad girl. I mean, she was the one that, she, Anne, De, Anne Dvorak was the, was, the, was the good girl, the good woman, and she was the, she was the other woman. Um, and then she played the, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the spinster, you know, the, the psychologically, re- the, the sexually repressed woman for a period of time, you know, and then she went into her Margot Channing period, and then she just became a, a character actress we like to see. So they have to, in order to have an enduring career, the, oath, the contract system of the studio system, you know, they, you were signed for seven years with the spend and extend clause that often lasts until ten. But they used to say it was seven and out. You look at people's careers at that time, and they really only lasted seven years. If, you, if that, if you could have a career that lasts 10, 15 years, whether it's a writing, directing, cinematography, any of those things, you are doing spectacularly well. The audience changes. The, the studio head changes. People want to see new things. If you need another example of it, how many people have been on a television series, been on top of their game, um, you know, the television series goes off and they can't, they can't work because people are so locked into seeing them in that character. Now you ask uh, why 
our people end up broken, forgotten. Well, they end up forgotten because once they once your career is over, you're no longer in People Magazine. Nobody cares anymore. They end up broke because they assume it's going to last forever. So you're making you know a hundred thousand dollars a week, and you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a week. And when you stop getting, excuse me, when you stop getting the the hundred thousand dollar repay check. Um, you know, your your hundred thousand your hundred thousand dollar a week lifestyle goes down the drain very very quickly. Plus, you know, bad management. I mean, bad you know, bad financial management, bad investments, and all those things. But mostly because your earning years are only your peak earning years are only uh, are finite. Same thing with athletes. Um, and if you don't do something to hold on to your money, um, you know, the smart actors you sometimes read about actors who have died. I mean. Uh, you know, you didn't even know they were still alive, you know, Catherine Grayson or this one or that one. And you find that they're living in, you know, Spokane, Washington, which may be a lovely community. And you say, what the heck were they doing there? Because the party was over and it was time to it was time to move on and, and put Ruth someplace else. Um, and I think those are the smart ones. Well, again, so many good points. We've got about nine minutes left, but you have made so many good points in in in. In that, you know, I, I've always said, let's say somebody makes, you know, like you said, a hundred thousand dollars a week, and they buy a two million dollar home, and there's their mortgage, but there's their act, there's their agent takes ten percent, their manager could take twenty five or fifty percent, their PR person takes a certain amount, they have assistants, or they have, you know, an, an entourage of sorts. They've they've got leased cars or other leased homes. They've got all this stuff. So by the time their take home may be very very small, by the time by the time they have all these yeah, taxes, yeah, yeah, and then the taxes, of course. Uh, and the other thing that that I want to comment is I've always thought that uh, successful actors, uh, you know, the filmmaker, I, I as the producer or the director may say, you know, I want this person because they're a superior actor. But the bottom line is I want somebody who will sell tickets. Right. And, you know, so what we're really looking at is what you said, that the, the audience connects with these people, but they're soap salesmen. They're, they're the actors on TV are there. The shows are there to sell for the commercials to exist. You know, the shows are only that in-between commercial entertainment, I guess. And, and, the, and the stars in the movies are there to sell tickets so that the profits can be made and so that they can make another movie and sell more tickets. So they're really, they're really pitch people, even if they're not giving a, an actual pitch. Well, maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I mean there are, there I'll just say this, that a star is someone who can put butts in the seats or, or audiences you know, in front of the television set. That's what a star is. Someone with a star build-up, just because you're, you know, in the cover, you're in People magazine, doesn't mean you're able to sell tickets or put people on television. That somebody's got a star build-up. You know, I have, I have a, 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 a Hollywood research library that, I would, that rivals any individual. And, you know, you look at old fan magazines and all these articles about Helen Twelve Trees. Now, you've probably never heard of, maybe you have, but most people have never heard of Helen Twelve Trees. She was an actress in the 1930s. She had a, you know, several-year career, uh, you know, uh, maybe one successful movie, but she was given the star build-up. Now, at the time, people seemed to want to read about Helen Twelve Trees, but they didn't want to see her movies. And now she's forgotten. Um, I could cite a more current example, like Pia Zadora, perhaps. Uh, well, they, <laughs> I think she's still alive. Well, she is, and I don't mean to, you know, and, and she may still be performing, but I mean, she got a huge buildup in Hollywood and had all the, you know, the, 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 the murals on the side of buildings and billboards and everything before she came out, and then she came out and 
didn't happen. But then I think she she became a variety artist and may have had a, had success that way. But but career wise, movie wise, I don't think most people. Yeah, well, she had a husband who was bankrolling it. But that's you know, I mean, Marion Davies had a boyfriend who was who was bankrolling it. But she, Marion Davies, actually had talent. I mean, she was actually a yes. good actress in the silent uh, film era. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so. Uh, how do you, in the six minutes or so, you know, um, let's let's do two things maybe if we can. And, and I want to ha- I want to have you come back, and I want to have you come back sooner rather than later. But it's it's going to be in the, in the next month or so. And and that is is, is talk about the film school and and, and about television and, and and many different things. Um, but while while we're on this subject, um, uh, one is what's the definition of a real star? I mean, how, how do you, you know, what you said. I mean, they can put, you know. Uh, butts in the seats, but uh, the definition of a star overall, and uh, and uh, do they all spend time in rehab sometimes? That's <laughs> the new makeover thing now. <laughs> Is that? Uh, it's a girl. It's just, you know, it's in your sad contract. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor is the definition of a, of a true star. Um, even and she, yes, she spent a lot of time in rehab and with a lot of other woes. She dates back to the studio system, and even though she's not making movies anymore. We're still, we are still fixated on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and if she were to do a television special for an hour, uh, millions of people would tune in. And being at a film school with 20-year-olds who often never heard of a movie, never saw a movie, uh, if it wasn't you know, made in black and white, let alone one made before 1995, um, they know who Elizabeth Taylor is. So, I mean, so a, true, a true star is someone who's, who, uh, who's, Grace endures, um, whose uh, whose uh, name endures, uh, and whose body of work endures, and um, so in that sense, I would say Elizabeth Taylor is uh, the greatest living star uh, at the time. Um, yeah, female star. I'll still say Clint Eastwood is the greatest living male star, and the man oh. is phenomenal. Clint Eastwood. Oh, oh, okay. The man is phenomenal, phenomenal, and whether you like his work or not. I mean, that he is able to do it is just amazing. Uh, who's not a star, uh, but I mean, or the word is bandied about, um, is, I mean, the first star, the first person who earned the title movie star, actually, was a long-forgotten actress by the name of Florence Turner. And in 1913, um, someone did an interview with her for a magazine and said that, you know, she's a She's like a she's like a star in the sky, you know, flickering, you know, burning bright, da da da. And that and the idea of stars being uh, actors being then stars stuck. Now, Flowers Turner soon after that, you know, left the United States, went to Britain, made a couple of films. You know, by by 1915 was out of the business and died broken, forgotten. Um, so, you know, was Florence Turner a star at the time? I mean, did she burn bright? I can just say this, even though I'm, you might say I'm skirting your question. It's not acting. Acting ability is important. Uh, you know, you can't be a, a you know a, a monolith and, and and be in front of the camera and expect to have a career. But it's does the camera like you? The ability of to 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 project persona and the ability to project charisma on the screen uh, makes someone a, a, a real star uh, and makes people want to spend money to see them. Um, there are a few exceptions, um, but a lot of the people who you think are great actors um, don't have the box office draw and never did. Then others who you might shrug off as merely uh, 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 window dressing, 
people who look good and and have been in 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 successful films. Talent is not a prerequisite. In other words, it helps. It, it's a it it's helps. a percentage. It not it doesn't have to be the it doesn't have to be the number one thing on the list. But but you have to have some ability to say your lines and 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 get into a character and 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 make it believable on the screen. Right, right. I, They're I, all talented. They are all talented, some more than others. Now we've got two minutes, and uh, I asked the rehab question, but let me ask a different question. We'll come back to the rehab question the next time you're on. Um, is can it be frustrating with your knowledge of Hollywood and background and and expertise in film history to be the dean of a film school where there are young people coming in who may not even have a clue who some of these people are, or they have no sense of appreciation for what came before them? Yes, <laughs> that's a quick answer. We only have two minutes. Uh, that can be frustrating, but what's more frustrating, if I could you know, be a of old, is sure. um, what, what's more frustrating is that they now come in the door with 15 films in what I call amateur distribution, YouTube. And because they've had a camera in their hands since they were 11, they think they know how to make films and they're ready to make their great future film. Um, and there's a lot more to it than just having a camera in your hand. Um, psychologically uh, and emotionally, the audience reacts to a lot of things on the screen. The close-up, the, you know, the, the way the camera moves, the lighting, the color. I mean, all of those things are things that are necessary in order for people to react to something on the screen. Uh, um, because that's what... So the f- most frustrating thing... Now, the, the other frustrating thing is, yes, they, they, they are not aware of... Uh, I said to to students the other the other day it was uh, I do teach a class on Hollywood business practices, and I said I was trying to point out that in in uh, film you know the director is better known than the writer. I've been staged the writer is better known. I said for example we all know who wrote Streetcar Named Desire, but how many here can tell us who directed the original production on Broadway? Well, they never heard of Tennessee Williams. They never heard of Streetcar Named Desire, let alone Ilya Kazan, who directed the original production on Broadway. So, I mean, you know, that is frustrating. I admit it. Wow. Well, Alan, you know what? We are out of time, but this has been fascinating for me and for my guests, and I, I can't wait to have you back and, and to continue this and to talk about the film school. And I think that the, you know, and, and, and we've actually left off with a good place. The idea that, you know, you said people have 14, 15, you know, YouTube videos or something out there, but they don't have the you know, the, the understanding or the psychology behind movie making. I, I also have made the point that, you know, that a film crew has evolved over time from the day that somebody first cranked out, you know, a piece of film soloed with an inanimate or animate object in front of them, that through the years people and positions have been added because they were required, not not just because the unions required, you know, the additional people, but, but because... You know, it's it's uh, the the phrase that I've now become endeared to on this is is everything in its pl- uh, a place for everything and everything in its place, and that to me kind of typifies it. Yeah. Yes. Al- Alan, I, I'm sorry I have to say goodbye. We've got less than a minute now, but uh, thanks so much. This was absolutely fascinating. I will announce to the listeners and uh, the readers uh, when you're going to be returning, and I appreciate it. I will talk to you in just a few minutes. But and thank uh, you for inviting me, Rex. Oh, you bet. Thank you, and enjoy your weekend. You too. As it arrives. All right. Uh, again, thanks to Mr. Alan Gansberg, uh, Dean of Columbia Film School. He's a writer, he's a producer, he's a film historian, and so much more, and we're going to have him back.
Uh, I want to thank you, my listeners, for uh, uh, continuing to tweet and retweet and to post on your Facebook walls and MySpace and share Movie Beat uh, to uh, your friends and your industry connections. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile, or you can join the, the you can join the friends page at uh, Facebook as well. But uh, tonight, uh, Long Pigs Time Cinema. In Milwaukee, 7 p.m., the producer, the director, the special effects artist will be there. Maybe some actors. There will be all sorts of stuff. Long Pigs, the horror film, 7 p.m., Time Cinema. Uh, check it out online, and, uh, and be sure that you show up there tomorrow. Kristen Shaw will be back, uh, or will be here, audition coach. Everybody have a fabulous day. Make your complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>